0: I'm excited to see you guys today. You know why? Because I fly to Florida this afternoon. <laughs> it's been a great week. It really has. It's been a busy, busy, fun, full week. But at the same time, um, all good things come to an end, right? But actually, I've enjoyed my time coming and, and, and teaching you the Word of God. What I've been telling people is this. It's fun to preach where people are hungry for the Word of God. And you guys really do love the Word study the Word, and it's been a great, fun time teaching you. We're going to wrap up what we've been looking at this week with a message, if you can see from the screen, from Numbers chapter 9. If you'll just go ahead and turn there. We're going to talk today about following Jesus, but we're going to talk about following Jesus in a different way than you normally would expect. Let's just... Start off with some time in prayer, and then ask God to take us where he wants us to go. Lord, as always, I know where you would like us to go, but I'm not quite sure each time how we're going to get there. I have an idea. You've prepared my heart. I've made an outline, but at the same time, I don't want to preach about following you and not do it myself. I pray that this morning, as you use me, In this opportunity to speak your word again, that you would fill me with your spirit, that take full control, and that you would give my mouth and my mind and my heart all that you have for us to receive today. Lord, I thank you that when we do rely on you, and when we do truly desire for you to take over, you do, and you promise that, and you fulfill your promises. Lord, I also want to thank you ahead of time, because everything you have for us is good because of Jesus. And so we ask now that what you have for us that is good would take root in our hearts. And Lord, even some of the things you may say to us today that may hit home specifically to our lives and show us where we really haven't been following like we thought we were, Lord, may we receive it as your love. May we respond to it appropriately. If there's a need for repentance, if there's a need for uh, a realigning our hearts with you, Father, Thank you for what you're going to do today. And you reveal us these truths because of your love for us, because of your desire for us to not to miss out on any of the blessings and the power that you have for us. And so, Father, in this time this morning, may it not just be we went to church, may it not be that we sang some songs, we took an offering, and we heard a message, and then we go to lunch. Father, may this be a true time of getting to hear from you. And in order for that to happen, Jim Johnson needs to get out of the way. I look forward to that opportunity right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 15. Now, I want you, as you're reading along with me, to pay attention to what is being repeated over and over and over. And I'm going to quiz you on this, so be ready for this. And it almost gets to the point where it's comical how much it's repeated. Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 15, it says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And that evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord the people of Israel set out and at the command of the Lord they encamped. Now as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle they remained in camp. But when even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Now sometimes the cloud was a, a few days over the tabernacle and according to the command of the Lord they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord they set out and sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning and when the cloud lifted in the morning they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. What is being repeated over and over? When God moved, they moved. If he didn't move, they didn't move. And just in case you missed it, he repeated it over and over and over in different ways. If it was a day, it was only a day. If it was two days, only two days. If it was a month, it was a month. But when he moved, they moved. And every day they had to get up and notice, is the cloud staying, is the cloud moving? Did it lift up? If it's moving, we move. It's at night and he's moving, we move. Now we've missed something over the years because of all the tongues confusion in Acts chapter 2, but if you remember, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit came into that upper room where they were all praying, and a pillar of fire rested above the head of each of the believers. But actually, if you look closely at the way that it's worded, it divided. And that's where we, the old King James, cloven, cloven tongues. You may have cloven hoofs, divided hoof. If you look at the actual Greek, what happened in that upper room was The Holy Spirit came in the form of a a pillar of fire. And it divided into individual pillars of fire. I've been living beneath Thelma for a week, so I think I can trust this, that she has the Holy Spirit in her. A pillar of fire came to rest over the heads of each of the believers. Y'all are sitting there saying, put one on me, put one on (laughs) me, right? Listen, the Holy Spirit came in the same way in which the Holy Spirit came to indwell the tabernacle When the Holy Spirit came to indwell the tabernacle in the wilderness, how did God signify His Spirit coming to indwell it? He put a pillar of fire above it. In the upper room, a pillar of fire came into that room and divided into individual pillars of fire that came to rest over the heads of each of the believers. Why? Because they now had become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the moving tabernacles, if you will. And God was signifying that in the same way in which His Spirit came to indwell the tabernacle, His Spirit was now coming to indwell them. So what does that mean for us then? We're to be people who, when He moves, we move. If he doesn't move, we don't move. Go to uh, John chapter 12. This scripture was up on the screen today. Ramey didn't even know I was going to use it. John chapter 12, look at verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, he must what? Follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. How do we serve the Lord? By following him. By letting him lead. By letting him be the one who determines what we do and what we say and where we go and where we live and who we marry. We, we give our lives to the Lord when we trust him as our Savior, when we understand our need of a Savior and the fact that we are in and out of ourselves incapable of being holy enough to be right before God. But because of his awesome plan... Before the foundation of the world, he had this plan in works. He would actually come down himself in the form of man, be born of a virgin, live without sin, and then die in our place on that cross. And then he rose from the dead and said, whoever believes that what I did will cover you, I will give you as a gift eternal life. And not only will I give you eternal life, I will put my spirit to come live within you and I'll cause you to move and to obey me. All through the scriptures, the Bible says the Christian life is not supposed to be one of us trying to do things for God. For years, we've all said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only this, what's done for Christ will last. You ever heard that one? It's not biblically correct. Anything you do for God that he doesn't do, burns up. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done by Christ, through Christ, will last. You ever noticed in Genesis chapter 22... God goes to Abraham and he makes this statement. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love and sacrifice him for me on a mountain that I'll show you. At that time that God tells Abraham, take his only son, the one he loves, and sacrifice him, how many sons did Abraham have? He had two. Remember, Ishmael had already been born. Well, Jim, God says, take the son that you love. No, 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 Abraham loved Ishmael. You read Genesis 17, he cries out to God, oh, that your promise, that your blessing would come through Ishmael. No, Abraham loved Ishmael. But why does God then say, when he has two sons and he loves them both, why does he say, take your only son? Because Abraham produced Ishmael through the flesh. And Isaac was born of the Spirit. And everything we do for God that's done of our flesh counts for nothing before God. And so folks, I want to remind you of the importance where Jesus said, if anyone serves me, my father will honor him. But if anyone serves me, he must what? Follow me. If I were to ask you to quote 2 Corinthians 5, 15, could you do it? You probably could quote 17, how we're a new creation in Christ. But if I were to ask you to quote 15, I'm pretty sure you probably couldn't. There might be one or two in here, But it's a verse we don't like we like being the new creation thing but in 2 corinthians 5 15 it says this he said that we no longer live for ourselves but for the one who died for us when we trust christ as our savior we just sang that this morning my life is yours my life is yours i live for you alone is that really what's going on in our churches today Now, I could easily preach a message to you today about following Christ and the need to follow Christ. But, you know, we've heard that, haven't we? Any of us been in church for a while? We've heard about following Jesus, and we need to follow Jesus. We've even grown up singing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. We've all sung it, we've all heard it, we've heard it preached. But I'm going to show you today six things that we have a tendency to follow instead of Christ. Actually, things that pull us away from following Jesus. In all of my years of pastoring and and, and shepherding the church and preaching the word of God, I've come to realize over the years that we are really good at talking a good game, but we're really bad at living the, the right life. When you get your driver's license, I'm pretty sure it's the same way here in New Jersey. It is down in Florida. How many tests do you have to take in order to get your driver's license? Two, right? First one's a written test. And if you pass the written test, then you have to do a what? A driving test. Let me say something to you about the church, especially in America. We can pass the written test for the most part. We all know the right answers. But we fail the driving test. Why? Because when it comes time to put the rubber to the road, the stuff we say we believe, the stuff we say we do or should do, we don't. So, What I want to do today is I want to encourage you and help you out by showing you what's going to pull you away from following Jesus and things you're going to tend to follow instead of him. And if you would avoid these, you can follow Jesus. You know what the first one is? The first thing that we have a tendency to follow, and they're in no particular order, is our own wisdom. Wisdom our own plans. Go to Matthew chapter 16. It's n- not much more clear than it is here in Matthew 16 starting in verse 21. Jesus has just told Peter that he was born again, that he was a new creation, that he is no longer rock uh, sorry, no longer Simon, but he's rock man Peter. And now Jesus, right after Peter's profession of his faith, Jesus makes this statement in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In Peter's mind, he was doing the will of God. Lord, I mean, we've got it all figured out. We, we know the plan. We've got the plan. You're going to be the Messiah. You're going to take over, and you're going to get us out from the bondage of Rome. and Dying? Being put to death? That doesn't make any sense. Although Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, which we all can quote, says that his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. Yet most of the time in our churches, how we make decisions is what, by makes, what makes the most sense to us, what's the most reasonable. I'm going to ask you to quote a passage of scripture to me, and I know you can, because as I travel around and speak to churches, this is a passage every church can quote. And I want you to quote it with me out loud. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in... All your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths or make your path straight. Isn't that interesting how everybody's quoting it? L- let me paraphrase what you just quoted. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Never, ever, ever lean on your own wisdom. In everything, acknowledge Him and He'll show you what to do. Isn't that what we just said? Let me ask you an honest question. You passed the written test. How are you doing on the driving test? We have a tendency when we seek the will of God to already have in our mind what we think ought to be done. I've heard too many Christians pray this prayer too when they're seeking God's plan and God's will. They'll say, Lord, whatever your will is, that's what I want. You ever heard that prayer? I'm going to make a statement that some of you are going to be shocked by and you're going to think I'm wrong, but hang on, I'll prove to you I'm right. Jesus didn't pray that in the garden. Yes, he did, Jim. He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's correct, he did. But that's not the first thing he prayed. The first thing he prayed was, here's my will. If there's any way you can remove this cup from me, and there's any way you can reconcile mankind without me having to go through what I'm about to go through, I'm for it. Nevertheless, here's what I want. I lay it down. Now I say whatever you want. Folks, you can't say to God, whatever you want, I'll do until you acknowledge what you want. He won't reveal to you His will until you're willing to lay down your will. And you can't lay it down unless you acknowledge what you want. We all have a flesh. We're still all in our fleshly bodies. And that's why daily Romans 12:1 and 2 says we must lay down our flesh, our bodies on an altar and say, Lord, It's not my plan, but yours. Here's what I want. I'd sure like to see it go this way. Nevertheless, if that's not what you want, I lay it down. If you give it back, great. If you don't, I'm okay with that. And so one of the things we tend to follow and that keeps us from following God is our own plans, our own wisdom. And I want to encourage you, this is kind of crazy, assume your first reaction is wrong. Assume your first thought is wrong. You know what I've noticed in the Bible? All through the scriptures, whenever someone had a righteous response in their mind, they were wrong. Lord, tell my sister to help me, Martha says. Isn't that interesting? She calls him Lord and then bosses him around. But what does Jesus say? Actually, Martha, you're wrong. Mary's chosen what's best. Lord, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. Uh, Who gave me that job? Lord, the one you love is sick. You should be here. And Jesus waited two more days. I could go on and on. Lord, do you want us to call fire down on them? Actually, leave them alone. They're fine. Lord, we saw some people preaching in your name, but they weren't part of our group. We told them to stop. Actually, they're on our side. And one of the things that's helped me be more sensitive to the will of God and the voice of God is to just assume that my first Reaction is wrong. And humble myself and say, Lord, here's what I want. And I kind of feel this way really strongly, but keep me sensitive to what you're really saying. Second thing that we tend to uh, have pull us away from following Jesus is our fears. I'm not gonna spend too, too much time on this, but you know how the nation of Israel was told by God to go into the promised land. And he, he, God's even the one that put the committee together. To go search it out. He said, look, I'm going to give you victory. Go on in. And they went in there and they came back and all of them except two reported and said, you know what, everything he said is true, but there's a problem. Those dudes are big. We look like grasshoppers to them. We just don't think it's going to work. And they missed out on following God because of their fears. (laughs) I'm going to make a statement. I've not been here, but I've been here because... Everybody's every, uh, the same around the country. I can guarantee you in the history of Calvary, Evangelical Free, there were times God wanted to do something pretty amazing, but you missed out on it because it wasn't in the budget. You ever noticed how whenever God challenges us to follow him, it's scary? It's bigger than us. It's more than we can afford. We don't know how we're going to do it. And many of us stop following Jesus because it scares us. For anybody, though, that's been willing to take that step of obedience when it's scary, you'll find that God has not only provided, he's actually blessed. But there's going to be that element of, Lord, I know what you're saying, but it scares me to death. And many of us follow our fears instead of following Jesus. We have a tendency to follow our own plans, our own wisdom. We have a tendency to follow our fears instead. And some of us stop following because of failures. Go to John chapter 21. Now, as you're turning to John 21, and we're going to start in verse 15, let me set the stage. This same Peter, who had rebuked Jesus, later on is told by Jesus that uh, he's going to deny him. And Peter says, actually, you don't know me really well. I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I'm willing to die for you. I love you more than the rest of these guys. I'm willing to go to prison and death. By the way, who was right, Jesus or Peter? Jesus. And in John 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember that guy that said he loved me the most? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, what? Follow me. There's so much here. Let me just pull out a couple of things. The Bible talks in the early part of this story, we jumped in the middle of it, that Jesus has got a fire on the shore, and he sees them struggling fishing, and he reteaches the previous lesson from Luke 5, when he had them do the miraculous catch of fish, and he has them do it again, and they get to the shore, and they bring some of the fish that they've caught, but Jesus has already got fish on the fire, I love that. He says, look, I'll use what I do for you, but I don't need you. And I almost picture Jesus kind of with a little wink, saying to Peter, hey Peter, This fire reminds me of something. When's the last time I saw you around a fire? You know, he was denying him the last time Peter was around a fire. Do you really love me more than the rest of these guys? Remember the guy who said he loved me the most? Don't know about the rest of these bums, but I love you the most. Peter says, I do. And three times Jesus reminded him of of his denials. But then I love how Peter, I think comes to the end when he realizes Lord you know everything you know that I love you and Jesus says yes let me add one more thing remember the guy that said he would die for me you will and then he showed him how he was going to die that was going to be by crucifixion you're going to stretch out your hands and be led where you don't want to go And that's why the Bible actually tells us he showed him by what kind of death. Not that he would just die. He showed him by what kind of death that he would die. And those of us who have studied and you know a little bit more about this, you'll know that when Peter was put to death, he was crucified. But he actually said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Do you realize Peter had 25 years to prepare for that moment? 25 years before he was crucified is when he was told by Jesus, here's how you're going to die. I think he was ready for that moment. He knew it was crucifixion. And when the time came, he said, I've thought about this a lot. I don't want to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. But don't miss this. Jesus says to Peter, you kind of tried to go back to fishing because you failed. Don't follow your failures. Follow me. Let me show you a verse that's pretty cool. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you're not sure where 2 Timothy is, it's okay. Go to 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verses 19 through 21. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some are for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I love this. God wants to use us for great purposes, and every single one of us have fallen. Even after salvation, every single one of us have failed when it comes to following Jesus perfectly. Unless I'm wrong, anybody here followed Jesus perfectly since you've been saved? Raise your hand real quick, because I don't want to say something that's not true. Yeah, none of us are raising our hands. Not even the preacher. And thank God, as we were singing today and saying out loud the things that we want to praise God for, I. Did it quietly, but for me, I thank him for his mercy. I thank him for his patience. I thank him for the fact that he would use someone like me. I mean, folks, if you guys even knew what a wretched man I am, you wouldn't even listen to me. Now, don't get all haughty. If I knew half the stuff you did, I wouldn't even talk to you. But thank God. Thank God for his mercy. And he says, "If you want to be used for a vessel of honor, let me cleanse you. Let me cleanse you from what's dishonorable, so you can be useful." We have a tendency, unfortunately, to stop following Jesus because we're too smart for him, and we already have our own plans. And we think we're following God. We can even spiritualize it, but we actually tend to follow our own human wisdom instead of what he wants. Or we have a tendency to not follow him because what he says is scary, and it's always a step of faith. And we follow our fears instead of Him. And we also, we stop following because all of us have failed. And sometimes we just think He's done with us and He's not. He says, what I begin, I finish. I'm a God who restores. I'm a God who heals. I'm a God who mends. And I just ask you to just humble yourself again and say, come back to following. me. Oh, there's other, another thing we tend to follow. And this in America especially. We tend to follow our comfort. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and following. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul said, if you're mature, you'll have an idea and a heart mindset that says, I'm straining forward to go following Jesus even more, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead. I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, watch out for those, though, who claim to follow Jesus, but really, they're more interested in their comfort Their God is their belly. In Luke 12, we don't have time to turn there. In verses 13 through 21, you'll see that Jesus tells a story about the man who had acquired all this stuff and he said, hey, you've got enough now. You're going to be comfortable in this life. Take it easy. And of course, that man died that night. And there's a tendency for all of us to, especially in the mindset in America, we've turned the gospel into, you know, God's going to make you healthy and he's going to make you rich. When the Bible doesn't teach that at all, we're to forsake everything and follow him. Whoever loves their life will lose it, but whoever is willing to lose their life for his sake to follow him will gain it. And so I wanna challenge you in this day and age in which unfortunately the church today is preaching that if you follow Jesus, it'll be the yellow brick road all the way to heaven and you can get wealthy and you'll never be sick and all this stuff. Don't listen to that, that's not biblical. I could show you in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 and following near the end of the chapter, where it talks about the fact that how some women received their children back from the dead, others were spared the sword, and then the very next verses say others were put to death by the sword. Some wandered in caves and deserts. The world was not worthy of them. Listen to the rest of the passage. All of these, those that experienced the miracle and those who didn't, all of these were commended for their faith. A real following of Jesus said, I'm following Jesus even if it's not comfortable here. We don't want to hear that kind of preaching. Jim, you're not going to fill the pews if you talk like that. Well, Actually, God's more interested in the few that follow than the many that don't. Have you ever noticed when Jesus preached to the masses, he thinned the crowds? Did you ever notice that? He first of all avoided the crowds, but when he did have a crowd, he thinned them out. Anybody want to follow me? He's got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They all go, this doesn't make any sense. This sounds sick. What's he talking? Cannibalism? That doesn't And upon hearing this, John chapter 6 verse 60 and following, upon hearing this, many of his disciples stopped what? Stopped following. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, "Hey guys, how can we soften the message so that we can get people to stay?" No, he says, "You guys are free to go too. Nobody's holding you here." Folks, I want to challenge you as a church to stop trying to preach a message or a gospel that would make people comfortable here. Preach the Word of God and watch God do what He will through people that really follow Him. You've seen an announcement today about the fact that starting now on every other Sunday night, there's going to be a time of praying for Calvary and what God wants to do. I'm going to challenge you. It might not be comfortable because you might have a plan on Sunday nights already, but I'm going to challenge you to come and be a part of that because it's a group of people of this congregation sincerely saying, Lord, what is your will? What is your plan? Lord, we don't want to listen to our own wisdom. Lord, we don't want to let fear take us away. We don't want uh, to have any failures that we've done in the past cloud us from following you. And we don't want to seek what's comfortable for us. We want your but there's another thing that's only four. There's a fifth one, and this one ties into what I just said. We have a tendency to follow other people instead of Jesus. I'm not going to have you turn there, but back in John chapter 21, right after Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die of crucifixion, the Bible says that they were walking along the shore, and Peter turns around and notices that John is following, and so he says, hey, how's he going to die? In other words, You just told me I'm going to die a crucifixion. Not too excited about that. I'd feel a whole lot better if you told me how John's going to die. And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, what if I want John to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. Don't follow somebody else. Oh, by the way, in the church in Corinth, there was a problem with this too. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and they were all fighting over, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. We have a tendency to follow man more than we follow God. I hope that God's used uh, my time here to encourage you in His Word and to feed you, but at the same time, I don't want a group group of groupies. I don't want it. Well, we're followers of Jim Johnson. No, I failed if you're followers of Jim Johnson. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, the scripture says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Listen, then he goes in this, he says this, so that we will all grow up into him who is the head, into Christ. Pastors should be pointing you to Jesus, not them. You don't follow man. Oh, you know how else we follow Man. There have been probably times in this church that there was a vote going on, and you knew what the will of God was, but you also knew some powerful personalities were voting in the other way, and you didn't want to look bad, and you didn't want to look bad in their eyes, and you didn't go with it. A lot of us are more interested in following the powerful leaders instead of the Lord. Folks, we got a problem, don't we? I've already listed five. We haven't even gotten to number six yet. I've already listed five things that we have a tendency, and if you're honest, every single one of them has hit you. They've all hit me. We tend to not follow Jesus because of our own wisdom. We don't follow Jesus because of our fears. We don't follow Jesus because of our failures. We don't follow Jesus because of our comfort. We don't follow Jesus because of other people. Oh, but I got good news. There's a sixth one that's probably hit all of us as well, but I got some really good news for you. The sixth one is this discouragement with God has caused us to stop following. You say, Jim, what are you talking about? I've never, God would never discourage me or disappoint me. Oh, yes, He does. When He does, again, a show of hands. How many of you have had the Lord do everything in your life exactly like you wanted? Yeah. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 1 and following. Now, you've got to keep in mind who's saying this. We'll start in verse 2. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. Now, when John John heard, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Stop for a second. I'm going to keep reading in a second. But don't miss what's just going on here. If there was anybody who knew who Jesus was at that time, I I don't think I could think of anybody more than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who had the Spirit of God within him from his mother's womb. John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. John the Baptist was the one who the Holy Spirit said, the one in which you see the Spirit come down on in the form of a dove, that's the one. Baptize him. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist is the one that said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. John the Baptist said, this is the one. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, Jesus isn't doing things the way John thought he would. I mean, John had been sent by God with a message of coming judgment. Repent! His axe is laid at the root of the tree. His winnowing fork is in His hand. The judge is coming! And you need to repent. And if you don't repent, you're going to get wiped out. He's going to come and clean house! And then Jesus is nice. He's forgiving people. He's eating with sinners. And John the Baptist even says... Are you the one? Well, that helps me. I've been walking with the Lord since 1973. I wish I could tell you I've never had a time where I doubted a little bit. Because he doesn't always do things like I think he would. And if John the Baptist can question, Jim Johnson sometimes is going to have some doubts. And some of you though, when God wasn't there for you the way you wanted him to be there for you, you stopped following. Maybe your mama died and you prayed that she wouldn't, or this person that you were hoping would marry you would uh, marry you and they didn't, or this person that you were married to stopped marrying you and all this. I could list all the different reasons why we feel like God didn't come through. He wasn't there for us. He wasn't what I thought he would be, and many of us stop following because of discouragement. Oh, keep reading, though. Look at what happens next. John the Baptist. Remember, Jesus has been standing in front of a crowd of people teaching, And so a couple of John's disciples come to Jesus in front of the crowd, and they ask this question out loud in front of the crowd. They said, Jesus, John the Baptist wants to know if you're the one or should they look for another. Jesus now realizes that John has looked wishy-washy in front of these people. Look what happens next. Jesus answered them, you go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. He's quoting all Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. In other words, he goes, you go back and tell John, everything's right on schedule, the scripture's being fulfilled. But then look at what he says next, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We all could. If I ask you to quote the Beatitudes, you'd talk Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness and so on. Here's what I like to call, Vance Abner called it this first, the forgotten Beatitude, Matthew eleven six, 6. Blessed is he who's not offended by how I run my world. Oh, and then what does he do next? We don't have time to read it, but Jesus turns to that crowd and says, Who would you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? Now you went out to see a prophet. Let me just tell you, of men born of women, none has risen greater than John the Baptist. When John said the lowest thing he ever said about Jesus, Jesus said the greatest thing he ever said about John. Again, because of time, I want you to go with me in your minds to Luke 24. You can look at it later on. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead... After he had already appeared to the, the women, and after the two men had already run and, 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 uh, the, and to the tomb, and two of the guys that were in that upper room, one of them named Cleopas, they were discouraged. And they left Jerusalem and were heading back the long road to Emmaus. And who chased them down on the day that he had just risen? From the dead. By the way, if you're late for lunch, it's because you didn't answer this question. Who chased them down? Jesus. Now, he keeps them from recognizing that it was him. This is important, this is very important. People have sat in Sunday school classes for years debating over why they didn't recognize him. Well, they were uh, expecting a a dead Jesus. They weren't expecting a risen Jesus. And someone else says, no, I think he might have had a a hood on like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you really couldn't see his face. No, the scripture says he kept them from recognizing that it was him. Let the Bible speak and stop trying to be smarter than it. You know why? Because there are times that he's with us and he keeps us from recognizing that he's there. Anybody ever had that? You know he's promised never to leave you nor forsake you, but there are times you're going, hello? Hello? Why? Because he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. And what does Jesus do? These two guys, they go, uh, he goes, what are you guys talking about? He goes, they go, are you a stranger? You don't know what's going on in Jerusalem? He goes, tell me about it. Even though he's lived it. Tell me about it. And they go off. Oh, we thought that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And some of our women in the group, they saw angels that said he was alive. And a couple of our guys raced to the tomb and found it empty. But we just, we don't know. So we're just going to, we were followers of him, but we're just going to, we're just going to go back. And Jesus just begins to pour the scriptures into their hearts. And of course, once they get to the house, I love this, he acted as if he was going further. Don't you think he wanted to go into the house with them? Of course. But he's never going to force himself, folks. He's going to wait for you to invite him. Just like in the same way, when he was walking on the water and they thought was a goat, he was a ghost, the scripture says, he meant to pass them by. What? But when they asked him to get in the boat, he did. And there's going to be times in your life that you don't know why he let that person die, why you didn't get that job, why she divorced you, why you didn't get better yourself, but you're going to have to trust that he is God and he's good and what his word has said is true because the righteous shall live by faith. But I love the fact that when we're discouraged, he chases us down. He's not mad. If you're saved, Listen to what he's promised. What I begin, I finish. That's why Paul could say to the believers in Philippi, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will finish it. I don't know about you, but I know about you because you're just like me. You haven't followed Jesus perfectly. You followed your own wisdom and stopped following Jesus. You've had fear be stronger than Jesus, and you followed that instead of, Jesus. You've had your failures keep you from following because you think well he wouldn't use me anymore but you don't realize that he's not done. Some of you have allowed your comfort to be what you're more interested in than actually following Jesus. Others of you have more, more interested in what other people are thinking than what Jesus thinks. And lastly you've been a little disappointed by him a few times. We would never say it out loud but if we're honest. He's not done things the way we thought he would. But Jesus says to each of us, if my spirit came to indwell you like it did in the tabernacle, my spirit is upon you and he's never going to leave. So you can kick against the goads, Paul. You can kick against the pricks. But you're never going to be fully happy until you're following And Jesus says to each of us today, I love you. Come follow me. I'm not really good at it, Lord. Oh, I knew that before I called you. I might not do it perfectly. I don't expect that. But I just ask you today to renew your heart, lay your flesh on the altar, and come follow me. There may be those that are listening online or those that are here today that have never taken that first step of following Jesus, to give Him your life. At the end of the service, I'm going to be down front, there'll be others, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, I want you to come and talk to myself or one of the people here that you know that know Him, and we'd love to introduce you to Him, and you can begin this journey of following Jesus. But for those of us here today that have been following Jesus, we've trusted Him as our Savior, but we haven't done it great, whatever one of those, if it's, not, if it's not all five that you followed instead of Him, acknowledge it, lay it down, And let him show you what he wants to do next. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, as we move into the closing of this service, as we sing together, and as you continue to speak to our hearts, my prayer is that what you've been saying to us would take root in our hearts. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you're a God who never gives up on us. Once you've made a promise, you keep it. And you promised that when you save us and seal us with your spirit, we're yours for eternity. Thank you, God that you have been faithful, even though we haven't been. Thank you, God, that you're going to give us another day to follow you. And Lord, I thank you also for the fact that you lovingly pursue us, waiting for us to say, Lord, I'm back. And Whatever that looks like for our lives, may we do that today. We ask this in Jesus' name.